The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. Good morning and welcome to Tech Talk right here on High FM, where we always try to break down the madness that is technology, put it into context of the crazy life that we're uh, going through, and just try to understand why all these crazy things are happening. I mean, the first uh, and, and major discussion that is going on right now, picking it up across all sorts of social media and in casual conversations with friends on Zoom and Skype and various other technologies, of course, is that people are crazy about the whole question of vaccines, um, this conspiracy theory around 5G, and how how do you stay healthy? Obviously, during a crazy time that we live in with the pandemic, health, wellness is top of mind. Everybody knows somebody who's been ill. Uh, it's It's been a really tough time for a lot of people. And the challenge is to separate out the noise from the reality. Now, one of the downsides of social media for all of us is that we are bombarded with an endless stream of stuff, info, very well-produced product from various players, some of it super professional, other of it just sort of anecdotal. My friend told a friend who told a friend who heard this, who took a video of that. But whatever the case may be, it is becoming incredibly difficult to sort out the info that you need and the info that's correct, and the info that has a basis in fact and in reality from the info that doesn't. And one of the key things around social media, one of the key challenges that we have is trying to understand what it is you should believe, what you should repeat, and what you shouldn't. Now, interestingly, in South Africa, like many other countries around the world, it has become a criminal offense in some ways to uh, to spread false information. It always has been a problem with with regard to people, but now for all sorts of other reasons, it's becoming actually uh, a managed and controlled service or system within the context of media in South Africa. And as I said, many other countries around the world, the challenge we have in South Africa is that often um, implementation and management of these things are completely variable and subject to all sorts of external forces that none of us want to talk about, but it's not consistent and I don't even believe those trying to regulate these type of platforms even understand how these platforms work. And yet, if you step back and think about it, people are people, systems are systems, and info is info. My only real advice is that continue to use social media, use it well, use it for positive things, but like all good things in life, when you've read a newspaper, and that was way before the time of social media and scrolling through a feed on your smart device, you generally trusted certain people based on their history of information. So you found a couple of journalists, a publication that you generally trusted and believed that they were delivering you the news and the information and the education around certain things that you trusted. You need to be that discerning online as well. It's harder because there's so many more players. There's hundreds of thousands of people all sharing information at the speed of light. But it's still true today. You need to find people that you can trust, people that you know are experts in their field. I mean, 
critically, and I've seen it so much around the vaccine thing, people are using this crazy logic, which makes perfect sense in isolation. Oh, can they guarantee if you take the vaccine, you will not get COVID? No, they can't. So why bother? It's that type of circular logic that creates the false impression of accuracy and validity. Simple fact is, I know nothing about vaccinology, about virology. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a professor. Please do not take any form of advice from me regarding um, vaccines and what's going on there. Speak to the experts, find out what's going on. You want to know about Wi-Fi? I believe I have a track record. been dabbling in technology since I was young. I've spent a lot of time in my professional life learning about it and playing with the equipment. So maybe I have some sort of validity if you want to know about Wi-Fi and other technologies. So that's exactly where we need to be. That's exactly where we need to go. You need to trust proper experts in the field. If someone has a master's in virology and has been in the field for 10 years, chances are what they tell you is a 100,000 times more accurate than some well-produced and logically fallacious um, video that was created for heaven knows why on YouTube and circulated amongst your friends or some conversation from someone on WhatsApp that purports to be correct in, in all sorts of weird and wonderful ways. So enough of that craziness. Um, just be aware, be, a, be alive to the fact that what you read doesn't always mean it's true and stick with the experts. That's the simple, easiest thing I can, I can say. Always check who is saying what and try to understand why they're saying what they're saying. Don't listen to the madness and the noise. Now, moving on to technology, which I'm much more of an expert in, on than um, all the other topics we've been talking about now. And that is interesting stuff is starting to happen as early as February of 2021. My prediction last year, and you can all hold me to this, is that data prices, all things being equal and no craziness happening, will drop between 40 and 50% in 2021. And when I say drop, it'll either be a combination of two things. The price will come down for what you're paying currently, or the speed or the data allocation will go up again for the same price as you're paying now. Well, telecom have started the ball rolling already for um, data drops. And this program is going to focus a lot on data what's happening, spectrum, mobile data, fixed data. And the real reason is, is that's the plumbing that drives the modern world today. You know, just the same as you cannot imagine a world without plumbed water, water on demand, open a tap, clean water comes out, switch on the switch, well, electricity sometimes comes out. Um, again, that's another story for another time. But we live in a world where these type of services are taken for granted. And Internet is definitely one of those services. Now, OpenServe, which is the wholesale arm of Telcom, they've theoretically split their wholesale and their um, retail. But OpenServe sets the agenda for all ISPs in the country, including Telcom. And what they have done is they've sent out a letter, and my broadband picked this up. They've got the ear to the ground. So if you want a good quality website to check sort of the latest tech on, my broadband's a good one. Um, they got hold of this letter, but basically OpenServe Fiber Connect will do speed upgrades and price cuts effective one March, which is less than a month away, and their Copper Connect, which is 
still relevant in certain areas. They haven't yet switched off ADSL despite their want to do so for a long time. Also getting the same sort of speed uh, upgrades and price cuts. And even more important, the Pure Connect, the OPC. Now, what that means, that's the naked ADSL. Guys who don't have a phone line but just buy data over copper connector connections will also get a price cut from 1 April. And the point of where this is going is essentially this. They are all the older, slower speed services are being retired and upgraded at no cost to the consumer to higher speed. So, like, for example, the old 10 meg fiber is um, now 25 meg. 20 meg is going up to 50. 50 is going up to 100. And 100 is going up to 200. And that will be the, the higher speed at the same sort of price. So, expect your ISPs to either upgrade your service for no charge or offer you to stay on a, a lower service, with 25 being the slowest, um, at a lower price. So you could save money if you're happy with your speed, or you can get a lot more speed for the same money. Nothing wrong with that. And on that note, we've got to break quickly for our sponsors, and then I'm coming back with another story regarding Spectrum. It's a never-ending story, and it's a little bit of an embarrassment, but it is critical because it's going to affect how you and I connect going forward mobile and how much we're going to pay for that mobile connection. So stay tuned. I'll break it all down so you understand the craziness that is Spectrum in South Africa. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 Hi FM. Well, welcome back, and this is the Tech Talk Cafe segment where we generally and often have um, interesting people from different types of companies who, you know, we can have a chat to and discuss all sorts of technology. Well, it's been a crazy, quick and slow start. Can you believe January's gone to the year? And I've got some really good interviews lined up for the next couple of weeks, but right now, unfortunately, no interviews, so you're just going to have to listen to yours truly. Explain something that is actually fairly critical to all of us. We all take our mobile phones for granted pretty much. We've done some research um, amongst the youth, amongst older people, and the penetration of smart devices has reached close to 70% across the whole um, country. So almost every man, woman, and child has a smartphone and it has become pretty much ubiquitous. You cannot operate in your, your, your life. You cannot operate in your business. There are just so many things you do on your smartphone. It is no longer just a phone. In fact, they should be, should not be called phones at all because in truth, the thing you do on your phone the least in a month, because you can track that very directly is make phone calls. I'm not saying that phone calls aren't critical and important. Actually having a conversation with someone is a, a, probably the second best way of, of communicating other than face-to-face. -face. So phones are still critical. Messaging is still very important. But more and more, your smartphone has become your connection to absolutely every aspect of your life. You pay your bills. You do your banking. You communicate with your service providers if you're a business, you communicate with your customers, you do analysis, you write letters, you read books, you watch videos. So every aspect of your life is now starting to flow through that 
that wonderful little device that you slip in your pocket or plug in next to your bed when you go to sleep at night. And they all work on radio frequency. That is the key to the whole thing. There's no magic involved, even though, um, as you'll hear later, current technology, a hundred years ago, you probably, well, maybe a little longer than that, but a couple of hundred years ago, you probably would have been burnt at the stake for even talking about the things we take totally for granted today. You would have been called a, a, a witch or a magician, and it was definitely not acceptable. But here we are, and here we sit and the world is moving ahead at a rapid pace in this space. And one of the key developments that is coming is 5G. 5G is the next generation of mobile communication. And one of the key differentiators, which a lot of people don't seem to get around 5G, is that 5G is a multi-radio spectrum um, system. So why 5G is so much faster, why 5G is so much more robust, why it is lower latency, apart from some of the network enhancements and some of the technologies and the actual coding and the way that the signal is sent through the spectrum or through the radio waves, has changed. But essentially, 5G compared, similar in many ways to 4G, how it all started is you had a radio wave which had a, sing a single signal that was sent from your device to a base station. The base station translated it into data either analog or digital, now it's all digital, and transmitted that to where it needed to go. Today, a 5G device can speak to more than one radio and using more than one frequency at the same time and aggregate all that connectivity into a very high-speed, low-latency, high-capacity connection between your device and whomever you're trying to communicate with through, obviously, the magic of the towers and the back end of the systems. But... The, the radio waves that are used are across a whole host of different frequencies. And as many of you may even know, we have still not gone digital television. Uh, those of you that still use an aerial that's on your roof when it rains or the wind blows, not that uh, digital doesn't have problems too, but you get terrible signals. Analog television still exists in radio frequencies, in frequencies that have been used pretty much in the rest of the world today for um for mobile communication. Now, ICASA have finally announced that there would be spectrum auctions uh, in March, which is literally a couple of weeks ago away. Um, and at that spectrum auction, they will allow the mobile operators and other interested parties to buy access from them to spectrum, which will allow mobile communications to move to the next generation. Currently, no allocations have been done for 20 years, or I think 15 years to be exact. And though, and all 4G, all 5G that's running now is either working on refarmed spectrum, in other words, the spectrum that the networks had, they did some technical tricks to reshare that spectrum to give us 4G and 5G, um, some loan spectrum due to the pandemic for 5G, for MTN and Vodacom, and all of this is a real mess. So finally, they've announced that they're going to auction off the spectrum and do it in such a way that everybody could get a, a little bite at the cherry. However, I've always maintained that mobile communications is a scale business. You cannot simply open a little business, start selling mobile uh, communication, and off you go for two simple reasons. Because of the scale of the users, South Africa has somewhere in the region 
of 80 to 90 million connections. We only got 60 million people. There's probably closer to 110 million connections if I do all the adding up between Rain and Celsi and Telcom and Vodacom and MTN. So it is a huge number of people. Just the systems, platforms, and methodologies of dealing with that number of people, each spending actually a very small amount. The ARPU, the average revenue per user in South Africa, even uh, for, for most of the users that's prepaid, is in the 100 rand and below range. So it's a lot of transactions for very little money. So you need to do it at an efficiency and at a scale that really makes sense. Secondly, even contract customers who spend a lot more money than that, again, are using a lot of services at fairly low margin. So again, you need massive scale for it to be profitable. The second thing is the costs of providing these services are absolutely enormous. We're talking about billions of dollars. A network has to spend over a reasonable period of time in order to just deliver a simple thing like a mobile phone service. So it is almost, and I'm not a big fan of monopolies. I believe that companies should have the opportunity to play wherever they need to play. But just the same as you cannot have a thousand people offering electricity in the neighborhood, you cannot have a thousand people offering wireless in the neighborhood. It just simply is inefficient and doesn't work. And you and I, because of that lack of efficiency, because of that lack of scale, would land up paying enormous money for a simple service. Imagine if you were told you can choose between any 70 providers of water for your home. And because of that, you would have to pay 20 to 30 times the price for the water simply because you're trying to keep everybody happy. And that's exactly what ICASA has done. They've said that they are going to split the auction into two parts. They're going to have two auctions, and then they've split the industry into two sections. They've said that Tier 1 operators, that's essentially MTN and Vodacom, are, are, are one level, and the rest are in another level. And then they're going to offer Spectrum first to the lesser players, Tier 2 uh, operators to try and rebalance the market and enhance competition. And then only once they've bought up the spectrum they need to buy, will they then allow Vodacom, MTN, the tier one operators to buy the spectrum that's left. They haven't allocated at this point or rather reserved spectrum on a fair and equitable basis. All they've said is that they want to foster com um, competition and unfortunately, in South Africa, that has generally led to a level of corruption and nepotism and, you know, and all sorts of unintended consequences. So it's never been a good plan. But this is what they're doing. Now, MTN has taken a cost to court over its definitions of tier one and tier two mobile operators, which and I've read their papers. It appears that um, the way that these are defined could actually be a huge challenge because most operators all of them, MTN, Vodacom, Celsi, depending where they operate, could be either, either both Tier 1 and Tier 2. So it doesn't make a lot of sense. And the distortion that creates is that the 3,500 megahertz spectrum, which is ideal for 5G, could actually be gone before the people that can afford and in fact have rolled 5G out in the country, MTN and Vodacom, could, um, could buy it. And here's where it gets, for me, a bit of a challenge. Those lesser or smaller or whatever you want to call them operators who may get the spectrum before MTN and Vodacom will never have the capacity to use that spectrum fully because I don't think that's a condition of the license, even though 
there is a use it or lose it condition in that. However, in the short term, because MTN and Vodacom are so hungry and so desperate for Spectrum in order to continue growing their business and delivering world-class telecommunications, they will then land up either buying or overpaying or somehow forming consortia, as we've all known how well that's worked in South Africa on many levels, with these other lesser operators and use their spectrum in order to bolster their business. And the net effect, unfortunately for you and I, is that because of that, there would be an extra 20, 30, 40, 50% cost in the spectrum or cost in the build-out or complexity that results in cost. Um, And the price of data, the price of calls, the price of these services will either well, not either, will increase by a significant sum, so no one's going to get cheaper data, and the government, on the other hand, has said they have to give cheaper data, or, two, it will become so unwieldy and so difficult to operate that the big guys will actually decide, you know what, there's no point, there's no return on investment to get involved in this type of thing, so we will actually stop our massive spend, and I mean, we're talking billions of rands a year of infrastructure spend, which results in billions of rands a year worth of taxes and employment and you name it throughout the economy, and simply carry on offering older, less advanced services, and we may never get ubiquitous 5G. Many countries around the world, America, or first world countries now have 5G that is everywhere. In other words, just the same as 4G, your phone, if it's that capable, simply picks up a 5G signal. And having used 5G on a mobile device, I can tell you the experience is vastly superior to 4G, which sounds crazy, but the speed at which things happen, the the ease and the quality of voice calls has been never been better. So 5G is a significant improvement in mobile communication in all respects both capacity, which is probably the most critical one, and secondly, speed, which for certain things makes no difference. I mean, how fast can you browse a web page? But the speed at which that web page arrives, the speed at which it interacts with you, changes a lot of lot of systems. So, for example, if you are doing service on a washing machine, here's a perfect example, and you need to understand something, you don't have the manual, there's some funny part you don't know how to undo, If you've got a really high-speed connection, you can in real time have someone to walk you through it um, and you can do the repair. You can talk about telemedicine. There are a lot of things that you need really high-speed, solid connectivity for. And 5G can do it where 4G, it's sort of possible, but not quite in the same way. So while the world is moving into 5G, South Africa is busy trying to figure out ways to break up the mobile industry. And... um, create opportunity for players that have historically not had that opportunity. The problem that I have with this is that nowhere in the world have these players had opportunities. The opportunities exist at other levels. There's no point, like in water, having 400 suppliers of water. You take it for granted. It is a mass utility. It is a human right for the most part. So you do it in the quickest, cheapest, most efficient way, and you regulate it in a in a global sort of macro type of environment, which is exactly what ICASA and many Ofcom in the UK and many other regulators around the world have done by taxing it to some extent or creating 
a, a playing field that is as competitive as possible, so you don't have just Vodacom supplying water. And in South Africa, just ESCOM, look how well that's working as a monopoly. So you always have to balance the monopolies, these massive, slow, and inefficient monopolies against complete madness and mayhem of open markets. But nowhere in the world has, for example, another little uh, um, madness that ICASA and the government are trying to push, a WOAN, which is a, uh, a sort of cooperative government-managed, well, not entirely, but a government-type setup of, of a, a, a mobile operator that works only in the wholesale space, which the government can then control in terms of pricing and then force all the commercial guys to use it, run it, pay for it. Uh, for what reason? No one actually understands. So in the combination of this this WOAN-type uh, government network, the fact that the big networks with the money cannot get access or are unsure of the access to the spectrum that they need um, in order to operate their businesses super efficiently and bring the price cuts. And we do have massive competition. There is very little chance that MTN and Vodacom can collude at a level. Celsi, even though they've now fallen apart as their major, as the major competitor, um, and is actually migrating all their users across to Vodacom and MTN as we speak. So it's actually good news for you, uh, Celsi. Anyone who's using Celsi is probably either on Vodacom. I think the contract customers on Vodacom and all the prepaid customers are now on MTN. So they're getting the benefit of the scale of those two networks across the country in terms of quality, reach. <coughs> this is also, also giving 4G to these people. So it is really interesting how the net, the, in commercially, the, the networks are consolidating down to two or three big players in a country of our size. Whereas the government is trying to force them through the spectrum auctions to re-break up into non-sustainable companies like, I mean, Celsi was big. At one stage, they had 20 million subscribers and now they are essentially becoming a mobile VNO. In other words, they do not own any infrastructure. They are a virtual network operator. They run on top of MTN Vodacom's infrastructure and then simply supply services. And that as a business model is actually an excellent one. So that is where the, um, the sort of entry of smaller players could actually work, not on the level of rolling out very expensive, very uh, cost intensive managing a network with a fiber, managing the network with all the radio towers, actually worrying about people coming and stealing your batteries and taking away your bits and pieces, as has been happening. The crazies in Natal burning towers because they think 5G is going to give them corona. So all of that stuff has to happen at a scale and in a, at an efficiency because the margins are so incredibly low, but the scale of the business is so incredibly high you cannot have a million players floating around, getting involved and managing it. So watch the space. I believe that both MTN and Telcom have taken ICASA to court for different reasons completely. But the net effect is that the auction may still not go ahead, which is not good for us because that will delay the spectrum that all the network operators need. But I do believe they need to simplify it, clarify it and make it fair and equitable and accept the fact that there are two dominant players 
They are definitely not anti-competitive because the two of them fight against each other quite strongly. Telcom is still there as its own operator, so there are actually three physical operators left in the country, which is good for a country of our size, and they should be able to manage the competition around that. And if that all goes ahead, my prediction, this all comes back to my prediction is the price of mobile and fixed data will drop by at least 40% this year, and you will all get a better service, better quality, higher speeds at the same or less money than you're paying now. So nothing wrong with that. But a lot is going to happen in the first quarter with these auctions and all the other cuts that are coming. And it's going to be an exciting couple of months for the mobile and uh, data industry going forward. And on that note, we're going to take a break. And then I'm back with gadgets and other gizmos. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And um, gadgets and gizmos are what I'm all about. Love the technology. Love playing with all the toys. And something I've been playing with for the last couple of months, actually. But more and more of these products are, are, are hitting the home. And South Africa is an interesting place in terms of something that has become quite a big trend globally. And that is the whole concept of a smart home. Now, the reason for this is is that many countries have had high-speed broadband, be it ADSL, be it fiber, be it whatever, um, for many years. But before we get into the newest gadget that I'm playing uh, with in this regard, I've got a quick live read that I've got to, um, you know, tell you people about. And in case I didn't know this, and in case you didn't know this, February the 1st was Car Insurance Day. Bit strange, but we have an actual Car Insurance Day. And actually, it's a great chance to re-evaluate your current car insurance. So one of the, the companies that would really like to help with better pricing and, and better service, hopefully, is, is, is our insurance. So you can SMS out to 40251 or call them on 0860006000 for a quote. And insurance may well be able to save you money. If they can't, you can ask them for 500 Rand or 1,500 Rand if you've been claim-free with the same insurer for three years. So it's not a bad deal. It costs you nothing. In fact, you can make some money if they can't help you. So that's out to 40251 or call 0860006000 and let the celebrations begin. Insurance is a licensed insurer and FSP. Terms, conditions, and standard rates apply. But the SMS is free, so literally it costs you nothing to find out if you can save some money with your insurances. Now, talking of homes and insurances and whatnot, smart homes are a huge range of different types of products, different types of bits and pieces. But one of the coolest ones I've been playing with the last couple of months, as I said, is a ring doorbell. Now, you may or may not have seen some adverts on American TVs with American TV channels about a ring doorbell. What the ring doorbell is simply is a standard doorbell with a knob which you push. It rings a bell inside, but it's very smart. It's a modern, new generation um, device with an ecosystem that makes it super interesting within South Africa. One, smart homes have been a little delayed in South Africa for a simple reason. Most of our houses are concrete and plaster. Very difficult to retrofit lots of cables, lots of wires, lots of bits and pieces in order to get 
um, a smart home to work really efficiently, unlike America and other places, which it's a lot quicker. But the Ring doorbell is a very simple device. Essentially, it's battery operated, so you don't need to get power to it. But a lot of us have got doorbells with power, so that's not the major difference. But the the one Ring doorbell that I've been playing with for quite a while, and they've just brought a new one, is the Video Doorbell 2. Now, the Video Doorbell 2 sold for sells for around about 3,500 Rand. But what it does for you, really, it's got great, it's got a video camera built in, and it's got motion detect- detection. It's got so many different little options um, that make it really smart. And wherever you are in the world, how it works is as follows. You, you screw it into your front doorbell, you charge it, you can either supply it with power, so it, it'll always stay charged, or it has a battery which you can charge. Um, and someone brings the doorbell and you get a very clear, high-definition picture of the person that's there. And what is more, and remember, this is through an app on your phone, you can actually speak to that person and uh, communicate with them through the video doorbell. And for me, it's been an absolute pleasure. I know when my kids come and go, they're not so keen about it. Um, I know who's at the door delivering from a security point of view. You can see and speak to the person from anywhere in the world, but certainly from inside, from your work, from whatever. Obviously, taken to the next level, if you had an electronic door lock, you could unlock your door, let them put parcels inside and watch them close the door and leave or not. This is South Africa, after all. But from a security point of view, it's really great to have a really clear, high-definition picture with the ability to speak to the person who's rung your doorbell or at least see who's approaching your doorbell because there is also, as I said, motion detecting, which allows you to see when someone comes close to your doorbell. Now, I've had it set to ignore dogs. You can do that, which is quite cool. So when you when you set it up, you can tell it how sensitive you want the motion detecting to be. So if it's facing into a busy street, you can really turn it down low. If it's facing into a quiet area, turn it up high. And whenever anyone walks past or approaches the door, you can, you get a little notification on your smart device um, and you can see exactly what's going on. For a small fee as well, you can record who comes to your door, which is quite cool. So you can keep a you can keep an actual recording of everybody who's rung or approached or activated the Ring doorbell. Now, Ring doorbells are available pretty much from a lot of people. Just uh, Google. It's it's ring.com. If you do that in South Africa, it'll take you directly to the South African website, which is za-en.ring.com. Strange website name, but anyway, that's where it is. But if you just put in ring.com in South Africa, it'll take you directly to the ZA site. And you'll be able to find out where to get it. There are a whole lot of new products. As I said, the ecosystem's extended quite uh, considerably. So where the other thing is it's pretty much wireless. You do need Wi-Fi. I, must have, I should have mentioned that. It is connected to your Wi-Fi. So if your Wi-Fi is working and you've got Internet connectivity, your ring doorbell will work. If you don't, that's a bit of a challenge. It's, that's the only downside to the whole system, whereas a physical doorbell Often, you know, because of the the, the um, transformer, if there's no power, it doesn't ring. But a lot of them have little battery backups, so it rung whether there was power or not. This will not work unless there's Wi-Fi, even though there is no power needed for the actual device itself. You can also place ringers anywhere in your house that you need to. So you can have them in the if you've got a really large house like ours. You can place one upstairs, one downstairs, 
and it'll always ring and you will always hear the doorbell physically. Second of all, you can have a whole lot of lights and other assorted accessories that they, um, that they make, security cams, which are also activated through the same system. And there's a whole host of different um, accessories like extra batteries, solar chargers, you name it. Have a look at their website. I just think it's the coolest little gadget. It's the coolest little accessory. And it's really been extremely useful. I do, well, I used to pre-corona, travel a lot. So it was always cool when I was out of the country or out of town, being able to see who's approaching the door, ringing my doorbell, or even communicate with couriers, picking up or dropping things. It's certainly been an absolute win for me. As I said, big house upstairs, downstairs, two ringers, one upstairs, one downstairs, never miss a call, but your phone rings. So sometimes you don't even need a chime, but all of those things are possible. So if you're keen on a Really cutting edge doorbell. I mean, of all the things, look at the ring products. They're well priced in South Africa compared to the US pricing and they're available pretty much anywhere. You just click on their where to buy and you can pick them up at Builders Warehouse, Credible Connection, iStore, a lot of little places. So it's not a problem. You can even get them on take a lot and have them delivered. So check that out and we'll be back straight after this with my last little gizmo and gadget and and advice of the day. So stay tuned, and I'll be back straight after this. IFM, 101.9 megahertz of life. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And as is usual at this time of the year, everybody's looking at what tech in 2021 would bring. And uh, there are some big big things coming this year. There are some serious meter type uh, trends happening in the in the in the space that are going to make huge inroads into into how we do things, where we go, and what we do. And um, essentially, Elon Musk, obviously, he is very focused on three main things. And of late, the latest is uh, space travel. But he's best known for Tesla, his cars. So autonomous driving is a big deal. He's also quite well known. And in fact, I saw the price of the Tesla batteries and uh, inverter products have dropped in South Africa for now as the RAND has improved a little. We all need some sort of plan B with power with our wonderful ESCOM doing what ESCOM does. And that is not supply power on demand as needed. But apart from that, obviously, he's got some big predictions in um, in the power space. And I'm not getting into that now. But he also has some really interesting uh, predictions around what's going to happen, obviously, with the future of mobility. And cars are a big part of his whole whole um, universe. Uh, and one of the, the key predictions he made is that autonomous driving will become ubiquitous in 2021 this year, now, as we sit. And he is promising that the Teslas will be fully autonomous and will be fully ready to just hit the roads without a driver this year. Now, there's a couple of challenges around that. The first thing is the cars might be ready, but are are we ready? Not the technology. They're definitely ready. BMW, Mercedes, Audi, all these guys have cars that can essentially drive themselves wherever you want them to, simply using the technologies that exist right now. So the technology is ready. Fully autonomous cars that drive themselves already. But robocars, cars 
that do not have people in them and hit the roads on demand is a whole new world that we are not, I don't believe, ready for yet. Lots of com- lots of reasons why that won't happen in 2021 from my side, even though the technologies will mature to the point where it's entirely possible, is that the unions, the taxi unions globally, not just South Africa, if you think our taxi unions are militant, you've got to meet them in Spain and France and other countries. They're a militant bunch. They're trying to protect their turf. And the fact that a taxi, a robo-taxi, no human being, could get people around super efficiently, super cost-effectively, and without any human being behind the, the steering wheel is definitely not something that a lot of people are either comfortable with or unions are going to allow. At the same time, governments tend to lag in terms of their regulation, the current cutting edge of technology. So to get those things licensed on the road is going to be an incredibly, um, incredibly uh, difficult uh, in many, many, many respects. So we are going to really struggle um, with getting these cars on the road. But there is one huge little change, and that's what I'm going to, just the last little prediction that I think will come true this year. The simple fact is more and more people will be driving cars as a service rather than driving cars as a, um, a, a an asset. You buy a car, you drive to work, you leave it for 20 out of 24 hours uh, in a garage. And there is no question we're going to see the rise as driving as a service, especially for commuting. Petrol heads and people who love cars are different, but all the manufacturers are going to have cars for you. And that's my prediction for this year. We're going to see more and more cars that will be designed, built and created for driving as a service. So it won't be the ubiquitous Corolla that you see. It will be a specific Uber-designed car, whether it's autonomous or a robo-car is one thing, but definitely cars and the way that cars are designed will change in 20, starting in 2021 to take into account that it's really not cost-effective to own a car if all you do with that car is drive the kids to school, go to work and come home and park it in a garage for the rest of the time. And on that note of looking forward to mad cars and driverless cars, uh, hitting the roads of Josie soon. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.